just sang that last song, Grace That Is Greater Than All Our Sin. Is that right? Okay, that is right. We sing it, and we believe it, and we know it. But let me ask you something. Have you been absolutely broken and overwhelmed and bowled over by God's grace? Now, I know maybe you have, and, but, but normally, as I go through my life, I don't even feel that way. You know, I know I'm a sinner. I know that. I know, you don't need to tell me. I know that. I think we all understand that, right? We're sinners. We do things that aren't right and all that kind of thing. We need forgiveness, and we, we can ask God for that. and get forgiveness. We know the gospel, right? We get it. I'm a sinner. But as I live my life, I begin to think, you know what, though? I'm really not that bad a guy. <laughs> you know, I'm not as bad as a lot of people. In fact, sometimes I like to turn on the TV and watch some of the news and some of these other shows just so I can feel better about myself and go, well, I'm not that guy. You know, I didn't do that. My goodness, I guess I don't have very much to be forgiven for, but, you know, some things. That would be, of course, the wrong attitude. And we're headed down the whole wrong road when we start to think that way. I'm not so bad. I didn't do that. God must be pleased, right? That's the wrong road. We're going to look at a story tonight where there's two characters. There's two characters. And in these stories, a lot of times when you find these characters and so on in the Gospels, you know, we're, we're supposed to identify with one of them, right? And say, yeah, we're supposed to be like that. And then there's usually another character where we identify with them, but uh-oh, we're not supposed to be that guy, but a lot of times we are, right? So let's read through this story. Let's kind of think about it, look at it, see if you can figure out which one we're supposed to be, which one we're not supposed to be. Then we'll kind of talk through it tonight and, and see, what the, see what the message is. Okay, this is from uh, Luke chapter 7. It's a story of the sinful one. I'm going to get out of the way so you can see it here and just kind of read it off the screen. Uh, Luke 7, the story of the sinful woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, 
but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do you know that story? You've read that before? You've heard it and so on? Let's, let's kind of look at it a little bit from the Middle Eastern social setting. You know, because Jesus is at a party here. He's been invited to this house, right? And Jesus, probably a visiting rabbi, probably had just taught in the village at the synagogue. And then the leaders, the religious leaders of the town would invite him over for dinner and Jesus would kind of be the guest of honor. And there were sort of social etiquette rules that would apply at a dinner like this in a Middle Eastern culture. And you've got to understand the social etiquette if you're going to get this story. That's very important uh, when, we, when we get the message here. You know, there were certain rules that could just be taken for granted. For example, one of them is that the customary greeting for an honored guest like this would be a kiss. It'd greet them and kiss them. You know, some cultures do that, right? We were just in New Jersey. There are kissing people out there, <laughs> right? If you know, and you, you kiss. I guess we're huggers here in the Midwest, but you've seen in the Middle East, right? Maybe you've seen people kiss each other on either side of the chick, cheek. If the, if the two people are of equal social status, you kiss them on the cheek and then on the other side of the cheek. If the social status is unequal, like, for example, a child greeting a parent, you would kiss the parent on the hand as a sign of respect. Or if a disciple were, or, uh, were greeting the rabbi, you know, a student greeting the teacher, again, unequal, kiss on the hand. Now, you all remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, don't you? When Judas betrayed Jesus, and we normally picture that as kind of a kiss on the face. Probably not. Judas is a disciple. He's a student. Jesus is the teacher and the rabbi and probably would have kissed him on the hand, which makes that scene especially painful because an act of loyalty from a student to a teacher is now done as an act of betrayal. Makes it even worse. Now, to neglect the kiss of greeting, you know, would be simply to just ignore somebody. It'd be like if somebody came over to your house for dinner or something, they showed up at the front door and you didn't acknowledge their presence. You didn't say hi to them. You didn't shake their hand. Nothing. That would be out of place in that culture. Now, another part of Middle Eastern culture would be washing the feet. And this was very important in that culture with the dusty streets and the sandals and so on. People would come and sit at a dinner. You wash the feet. Now, if the person was of high status, your guest you would wash their feet yourself. You'd get down and, and do that yourself. Uh, if, if not, you might have your servant do it, or you might simply give them a bowl of water and they could kind of do it themselves. Another thing you might do is to give them some olive oil to anoint the head, maybe inexpensive oil or something like that, and, and that would be something that would be valued in that culture. Now, here in this setting, Jesus has just taught in the synagogue the leaders, Simon in particular, has invited Jesus over to his house for dinner and nothing happens, right? No kiss of greeting, 
No washing of the feet. You got to understand, these are not just subtle omissions. Oops, forgot to do that. Jesus is being ignored and insulted. And this is deliberate and everybody knows it. And you could cut the tension in that room with a knife. And then the woman is introduced. Now, in those days, banquets were kind of public affairs. They would usually be held in the courtyard of somebody's house, kind of out in the open and so on. So people from the village and others could kind of walk up and stand around and observe. Obviously, they couldn't sit down at the table. You need an invitation for that. But you could just kind of come and stand around and look. And the woman here comes. And Luke tells us in verse 37 that she was a sinner. And it's very clear from the word that Luke uses here that she's a prostitute. And she's known as that in this village. Everybody knows it and who she is and so. But she'd apparently heard Jesus teach earlier in the day as well. And something about him struck her deep in her heart. And she began to wonder, I don't know, maybe she began to think, how in the world did my life ever end up this way? How did I ever get to this place? Because you know, nobody starts out their life expecting to end up where this woman did, right? You know, once she had been somebody's little baby. Once she had been the object of a mother's hopes and dreams. Maybe her, her husband rejected her at some point and she had to go out and survive on the street. I don't know. But however it happened, she hears Jesus teach. And it comes to her and she thinks that even she, in her situation, is loved by God. She thinks, wow, God loves me like a daughter. It's not too late, even for me. She hears Jesus, this wonderful teacher, talk about the kingdom of God as available now on earth, and anybody can just walk up and enter that kingdom. And she thinks, wow, even me? Can I do that in my life? And then she hears that Jesus who you know, has just opened up this whole new life to her, is at this dinner in the village. Now, of course, she wouldn't be invited to this dinner, not in a million years, of course. And you can imagine what it takes for her to walk up into the courtyard and see what's going on. I would think she would have had to gather every ounce of courage in her body just to show up in that location. But she sees Jesus. And she is just overwhelmed with love and grace. And then she sees how Jesus is treated by Simon. How he's ignored and insulted and she can't stand it. Well, what can she do? Well, she can't be the one to give him the kiss of greeting. I mean, that would be very presumptuous, right? Think about how people would react if she walked up and kissed Jesus in that way. That would be, you know, that would never go. And then it comes to her maybe in an impulse. Well, she could kiss his feet. You know, to wash somebody's feet was an act of humility. To kiss them was just abasing. Now imagine the drama here in this little courtyard. You got to picture the scene. Jesus is sitting at the table and, you know, in those days, 
You know, the table would have been real low to the ground. They didn't really use chairs to sit on, but they would sort of have cushions and lean on an elbow, and they would recline, really, is what they would do, kind of with their bodies stretched out and their feet far away from the table. And so Jesus is sitting there reclining with his feet out, and this woman comes and stands at Jesus' feet. And everybody's watching. And everybody knows who she is, and she has not been invited. And then she kneels down, and she kisses Jesus' feet. And she looks at Jesus. Only instead of judgment, or ridicule, or embarrassment, there's just love. And Jesus looks at her, and just loves her. And she has not seen that look in a man's eye in a very long time. And here she sees it in the eye of the best man that she has known. He loves her. He loves her not just as sort of an object and somebody to be used, but he loves her as a daughter, as a person, as a friend. And he loves her right in front of all those people in the courtyard. And she is oh so overwhelmed by Jesus' love and grace for her that the tears begin to flow down her face. And some of us have known tears like that, right? Tears of sadness, I suppose, for what she's done. Tears of gratitude because Jesus offers forgiveness. Tears of joy, just unbelievable joy, because now she's got this whole new life in front of her. She gets a do-over, and Jesus' feet, unwashed by Simon, are wet from her tears. You ever have your heart touched by Jesus like that? Well, she wonders. How can she dry his feet? You know, there's no use asking for a towel. Simon wouldn't give her one in a million years. So another impulse, she lets down her hair. Now again, this would be a shocking breach of etiquette in those days in the Middle East. In those days, women always wore their hair up in public. It wasn't allowed to hang down and loose uh, in mixed company. Obviously, that's different in our day, but back in that day, it was considered too sexually provocative for a woman to have her hair down. In fact, if a woman would let her hair down in front of any man other than her husband, it was grounds for divorce. That's kind of what it was. And everybody at this table knows her profession, and they're probably whispering among themselves, look at her, what's she doing? She has let her hair down many, many times before with many, many men. And now she's doing it one final time. And this time she's getting it right. Finally, after a whole lifetime of getting it wrong, now she's getting it right. And she lets her hair down and she begins to wipe her tears off of Jesus' feet. And then Luke says that she has an alabaster jar of perfume. And this probably refers to a little flask that was worn around the neck by women as kind of, kind of a perfume. And again, because of her profession, as you imagine, this flask was quite important. And she probably used it a drop at a time many, many times before. But now she empties it. She just pours out the whole thing because she's not going to need it anymore. 
And she just pours out her whole life. And she thinks to herself, well, I I can't anoint his head. I'm a sinful woman. He's a holy man. That would be presumptuous. So she pours out this flask, her life. She pours it on Jesus' feet. And she kisses his feet over and over again. She is so broken. She is so undone and overwhelmed by his sheer goodness. It's as if she's forgotten who she is. And she forgets where she is. And she just unashamedly pours herself out in adoration and gratitude to Jesus. And I wonder, when's the last time you had a moment like that? I mean, where you were broken and undone and just torn apart because of the love and grace of Jesus and just gave yourself back. I wonder if you'd like it to be tonight or this week. Well, our friend Simon here is watching all this, right? It's at his house. It's his dinner. He's watching this. And this is not turning out at all the way he planned. And he says to himself, well, I guess this Jesus guy, this rabbi, this teacher isn't all that after all. If he was even a prophet, he would know exactly who this woman is, and he would never let her touch him without with a 10-foot pole. But Jesus knows all about who this woman is, of course, and he knows all about who Simon is. And in verse 40, Jesus answers him, Simon, I've got something to tell you. Your parents ever come to you with that line? You know, <laughs> The implication here is, you're probably not going to like this a whole lot, Simon, but I got something to tell you. See, Simon has pronounced judgment on this woman. She's a sinner. She's a bad person. And Simon has pronounced judgment on Jesus. He's an incompetent prophet, and he's no teacher from God. That's for sure. But Simon has gotten it wrong. So in a sense, what Jesus is saying here to Simon is, okay, Simon, here's the thing. I'm going to give you another shot. Give you another chance here. I'm going to make this real easy for you. And so Simon says to him, all right, teacher, tell me. And then Jesus tells a story. Jesus tells a story. We just read it a few minutes ago. It's about these two debtors. And they owe a money lender. And uh, the, now that's the only time that this word is used in the New Testament. And it refers to somebody who lends money at interest. Now, in those days, people who allowed themselves to get into debt, you know, were not very well thought of, kind of a foolish thing to do. Money lenders, you know, people who lend money and charge interest, they were kind of even a worse class of people. So this story is about a bunch of shady characters. You know, this would be like something in our day if you said, well, I want to tell you a story about two bookies in over their heads to a loan shark named Vito. That's kind of the way this story is. Both of the debtors owe money. Neither could pay. Though one, the thing they, that's what they had in common. Though one debt looked a bit manageable. The other guy knew he was desperate. In fact, both of them were unable to pay, it says. Neither could pay. Both could look forward to losing everything they had, maybe prison ahead of them. But one debt looked manageable. The other guy was absolutely desperate. Jesus says, for these characters, when it looked really bad and really dark, Vito the loan shark showed up and made an offer that they couldn't refuse. 
and he forgave both debts, the huge one and the little one. Now, Jesus says, which one of these guys is going to be filled with relief and gratitude and joy and love for the one who has just generously set them free? Is it the little debt guy or the big debt guy? Which one going to be more grateful and filled with love? Now, this is actually kind of humorous in verse 43. This is a very simple question, right? And Simon answers, well, I suppose. See, the answer is obvious, but he didn't want to say it because he sees where this is going, right? He sees where it's headed. Oh, he says, I suppose the big dead guy. And Jesus says, I think with some humor, you have judged correctly. Give the boy a cigar. Got the right answer. Nice going, Simon. And then comes one of the great conversations in all of Scripture. It really is. I wish I could convey the drama of this scene and this conversation. Because up until now, Jesus has been talking with Simon and everybody that's sitting around the table. And this woman has been at Jesus' feet. Now, it says in verse 44 that Jesus turns toward the woman... Simon is behind him. All the people at the table are behind Jesus. And he's facing this woman. And he keeps talking to Simon. But he's facing the woman. Okay? And her eyes are just fixed on him. She has boldly loved Jesus. And now Jesus is going to boldly love her. And you have to picture this as these words are being spoken to her. It's unbelievable. She is filled with emotion, embarrassment, shyness, a sense of being unworthy. But mostly, I think, just radiant love because Jesus is looking right in her eye, right at her. And he is her champion, her advocate, and her friend. Jesus looks right at her. And he says to Simon, do you see this woman? Because, of course, Simon has not seen this woman. He saw a theological object lesson, maybe. He saw an object of contempt in the village, but he didn't see what Jesus saw. Nobody really saw this woman. Nobody at the table saw that. Jesus says, remember, looking at her, Simon back here, Simon, do you see this woman? And they all look. And Jesus keeps looking at her. He says, Simon... I came into your home and you didn't give me water for my feet. This woman made sure not only that my feet were washed, but she washed them herself. And she did it with her own tears. Jesus says, Simon, when I came into your home, you didn't kiss me. But since I came in, this woman has not just kissed my hand, but my feet. And not just once, but she hasn't stopped kissing them the whole time she was here. Jesus says, Simon, when I came in, you didn't give me any olive oil to anoint my head. This woman not only anointed my head, but my feet. And not with inexpensive olive oil, but with the most expensive perfume. And she poured it out before me. And then Jesus says these words. Now again, he's looking right at this woman. Imagine being this woman. Jesus' eyes locked on you in front of all these people in the village. And Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, are forgiven. 
and her heart just explodes. She's never experienced that kind of life and gratitude before in her life because Jesus, the wisest and best man that she has ever known in front of all these religious leaders and all these people in the village, looks at her right in the eye and he says to her, you, your sins were many, but now they're forgiven. You, this woman who has wasted her whole life and engaged in some of the most degrading, disgusting behavior that you people can imagine, her sins, which were many, are forgiven, and her heart just explodes. And then Jesus says, that's why she loves so lavishly. That's why she pours out everything she has. That's why her tears bathe my feet. That's why she wipes them with her hair. That's why she can't stop kissing me. Because, And then this great truth, because the one who has been forgiven much loves much. Because anybody who opens their heart and just becomes humble and honest before God gets their heart healed and is set free, and is just filled with love. But Simon, Jesus says, looking at this woman, remember, but Simon, the one who is forgiven little, loves just a little. Just a little. Only a little, Simon. Now, in this parable, listen, here's what Jesus is not saying to Simon. Jesus is not saying, well, you know what, Simon? You're a religious man. You're a Pharisee. You know, you've hardly sinned at all. So you really don't need much grace and God doesn't have very much to forgive you for. He's not saying that. He's dealing with this great difficulty, which is Simon perceives himself to have little sin. That's why I told you that was me at the beginning. He perceives himself to have little sin. And that's what makes it so hard for Simon to be overwhelmed by grace. Simon really does think that God is getting a pretty good deal when Simon comes to him. Simon thinks of himself as the small debtor. And therefore, he cannot love. And he looks at the large debt people, like this woman, a bunch of other people, and he wonders... Why can't they be more righteous like me? Why can't they be like me? Why can't they just shape up and do what I do and live like I do? And he's filled with judgmentalism and comparison and superiority. See, the question that this story raises is, who's really the big debtor? Who's really the big debtor in this room? For there is a great sin to find in this room, but it's not the sin that Simon thinks it is. It's, it's the sin of lips that won't kiss. It's the sin of knees that won't kneel. It's the sin of eyes that will not weep and hands that will not give and perfume that will never leave the jar. It's the sin of a heart that will not break and of a life that will not change, and a soul that is just too stubborn and proud to love. Simon, don't you see, don't you see, you're the biggest debtor of all. If only Simon could see it. 
If only he would join this woman at Jesus' feet. If only he would see and feel pain over his sins like she does over hers. If only he could be overwhelmed that Jesus loves him anyway in the midst of his stubborn lovelessness. If only his tears could start to flow with hers. Then he would realize that he and she are just brother and sister, just both forgiven enormous debts by the grace of God. See, she desperately needed grace for a heart that was broken. He desperately needed grace for a heart that was hard. Who's the biggest debtor? Who's the biggest debtor, friends? You know who it is? It's me. And, and it's you. No matter how long you've gone to church, I don't care. No matter how respectable you think you are in the church, in the community, how you dress, where you've been, what you've done, I'll tell you what, I bet you your debt is plenty big enough for you to be overwhelmed by the grace of God when you see it. And now tonight, it's our turn. And now we come to Jesus and Jesus comes to us. And, and now the question is, with these two characters, here they are. Did you figure out who the two characters were yet? Okay, good. Which one are we going to be like? Are you going to be like this woman? Or are you going to be like Simon? And now it's our turn to respond. So let me just quickly, let's end this tonight. Let me just kind of wrap this up and, and just kind of give you two things. Just two things that I think that you and I can maybe bring to God tonight, this week, as a proper response to the story that we just heard. And the first one is the gift of repentance. I think we can bring this to God tonight, tomorrow, every day. I mean, genuinely. Now, here with this woman, it's the gift of tears. And I don't mean we're supposed to force emotion and tears and all that kind of thing. But this is about entering into God's sorrow over sin. And realize that when we do these things, we're not just breaking the law. We're breaking God's heart. And we're violating our relationship. And I think about that. And I think about really what my sins do. And I realize I'm Simon. So often with the people that I most ought to love, I'm Simon, that's me, sitting coldly, you know, passing judgment, I'm Simon. If only I could see the reality about my life and my heart and fall on my knees and count myself among the big debtors. Well, maybe what you want to do tonight, tomorrow, this week, maybe you just want to bring the gift of tears or repentance, and just bring it to Jesus. And if you do, I want to ask you to be real specific. Because what happens in my life is, you know, I, I, I confess my sins, and I ask for forgiveness, and it's just sort of very general, right? I usually you know, lay down in bed at night, and Lord, forgive me. Okay, I got to go to sleep now. You know, I want to ask you to be very specific. You know, I have been proud and unloving with this person in this way. I was deliberately self-serving with my spouse. And here's how. I lied. I deceived somebody. I pretended to know more than I really did. I let anger fly in hurtful ways. 
on my kids, on my spouse, on my friends. There were words of love that I could have spoken and I didn't do it. Bring the gift of repentance like this woman and allow Jesus to call you his son, his daughter, and be overwhelmed by his grace. If your heart is hard, I ask you to just get it soft. Come before God. Just be real honest and real open and bring the gift of repentance. And then just one other one. I suggest that you bring also what this woman brought, and that is the gift of adoration. She bends down to give Jesus a kiss, and she just can't stop. She, she shamelessly adores God. Have you ever done that? You know, our worship, our adoration, it's so measured, isn't it? It's so calculated. We worship in Iowa cornrows, just like this. It's okay, it's okay, I'm not saying, but shamelessly, unselfconsciously, just pour your heart out in adoration. When's the last time you did that? You know, to adore is to ascribe greatness and goodness and glory to God with my whole being, heart, mind, and soul, and body. Maybe what you need to do is just read a psalm or read a scripture or the story tonight and, and just dwell on the sheer goodness of God and take courage. And let it wash over your mind. And let it work down and flow into your heart. And then come out in adoration. This woman is so overwhelmed by the sheer goodness of Jesus that she just, without any self-consciousness or embarrassment, just worships God. So this week, will you give God wholehearted adoration? Now, let me just, Specifically, you know, for a lot of us, this will involve music and singing. Augustine, way back, Augustine used to say, when you sing, you pray twice. Once with the words and then once with the melody. There you go, two birds with one stone. So sing. And maybe you just want to get a worship tape or something and stick that thing in and sing and worship or I don't know. If you're a lousy singer, that's all right. God can translate that. That's fine. Uh, make the joyful noise. You know. Adoration. There are other ways to do this. Write a letter to God. Have you done that? Write a letter. Dear God, just wanted you to know. And write and tell him how you feel. Maybe it's doing physical activity, you know, where you feel God in your body. You're sort of a physical person. I don't know, remember Chariots of Fire? That was a while ago, right? Remember that one? Remember the guy, that, you know, he says, I, when I run, I feel God. Maybe that's you, and you need to go for a run and just feel God, you know? Uh, maybe you get fullness of life when you work with your hands and you create something, and my wife Nancy is waiting for that to happen with me. Probably not going to, but... But maybe when you do that and you serve God, you make something and you're doing that and just say, to your honor, God, to your glory, God, I feel you, God, when I do this. I don't know what it takes, but give your heart to God somehow. You know, when, when our kids were really, our kids are grown now, it's kind of, I know, we have a, our daughter's 12 and she sometimes wants to sit on daddy's lap, but it's getting fewer now. And certainly my 20-year-old doesn't want to do that. So, 
Uh, but when, when, when the kids were little, we had this little thing that we did with them when we, when we put them to bed and said their prayers and so on. And, and I would say to them, you know, as I walked out of the room, I said, you know, I don't love you this much. 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 And then I'd stretch out my arms as far as they could go, and I'd say, I love you this much. And we'd just kind of do that, and pretty soon I didn't have to say anything. i just kind of go like this, and they knew what that meant. You know, we just had that. I remember, I don't know how old the kid was, maybe five, six, seven, and, and, I, and he did something bad, and I realized here is a sinful little child in my present, a defiled six-year-old. And I was going to try to figure out what to say to him, give him a good lecture, good talking to, you know, Simon, I got something to say to you, or something like that. And he looked at me, you know, and he just looked at me, and he just kind of went, Daddy? You know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Right? You, the lecture's gone. You dump that out and you just forgive, right? You just forgive, right? It's all you can do. See, here's this woman whose whole life had been warped by sin. And, and you know, in, in, it just, she's a, it's a bad life. And she comes to Jesus in authentic repentance. And she looks up expecting as from any religious leader that there's going to be condemnation and guilt and so on. And Jesus recognizes that there's authentic repentance here. And he just looks at her and he says, you know what? I love you this much. It doesn't matter what you, I know you've done disgusting things. I know it's horrible. But I love you this much. And you matter to me, and you're my daughter, and I'm going to take care of you, and you just come with me. I love you this much. And I'll tell you what, he says it to crooked tax collectors. He says it to unfaithful friends. He says it to prodigal sons. And in his dying breath, he said it to a thief on the cross. And he would say it to old Simon, if only Simon would let him. And he'll say it to you right now. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, however you sin, Jesus will say to you tonight, right now, what he said to this woman and what he's been saying to human beings and men and women and a bunch of sinful people for the last 2,000 years. Your faith and your trust in me has saved you. Now you go in peace because I love you this much and you belong to me. Now, now, Can you be overwhelmed by the grace of God? Grace that is greater than all our sin. And that is the truth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story and these characters. And mostly we thank you for your amazing, unbelievable, overwhelming grace and love that comes to people like us because We sit here, and if we're honest, and if we're really authentic, we are with this woman. We've done the same things. We've been in the same place, the same dark place. But Lord, where where our sin runs deep, we know your grace is more. And where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, we're free. We know we need you, so come to us in our sin and love us that much. Amen.